0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Thanks for joining me again on the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. Today, I'm going to be sharing a lesson with you that I recently taught at our church, and I have to confess that uh, this lesson was not original to me. In fact, in our Wednesday evening prayer meetings, we are going through a book called What is a Healthy Church Member, written by Thabiti Anabwele. And in that book, he has a chapter entitled A Healthy Church Member is a Growing Disciple. And I read that chapter a couple times, and I basically turned that chapter into a lesson to teach for the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. So what you're about to hear is not all original to me. There are some original examples that I thought of, but not all of it is original to me. So I just want to give credit where credit is due. I have to say that in reading this book, it has been both personally challenging, and I've heard a lot of good feedback from the congregation, from the saints, about how challenging it has been for them as well. So if you've never read this book, What is a Healthy Church Member, and you attend church, you would do well to get this book and read it. There's like 10 chapters. Each chapter is maybe seven to nine pages long. So the entire book's maybe only 100, 120 pages. It has some appendices in the back to deal with some questions a little bit deeper. And it's just a fantastic resource. I was turned on to it by one of the guys from Nine Marks. I think I stumbled on it in an article that he wrote, he referenced this book, and then I went and looked it up, and then you know the rest is history. So if you've never read it, or if you're wondering, hey, what would be a great small group study? What would be a great Wednesday night study? I highly recommend this book, What is a Healthy Church Member, by Thabiti Anabwele. And now that the introductions are over, I'm going to go ahead and explain this chapter to you as Thabidi set it forth in his book, this chapter entitled a healthy church member is a growing disciple is very i think personally challenging because it causes you to really reflect on am i truly growing in Christ likeness and what are the measurements of growth i think that's the key what are the measurements of growth why why is this an important concept for us as believers Let's use an analogy. Imagine that you went out to the store and you bought a packet of seeds. And you went home and you put those seeds in your garden and none of them grew. You'd think, man, that's really strange. You know, normally, you know, you get a packet of seeds and, and most of them grow. It's only a few of them that don't germinate and grow. But in this particular packet, none of them grew. And then the next year you go out and you buy another packet of seeds plant them in the soil, water them, you take care of them, you spend extra time making sure that everything is right, because last year was a total failure. And then this year, again, total failure, nothing grows. What would you think if that happened year after year after year? You'd probably get pretty upset. And you'd probably write the seed manufacturer and tell them that they're producing faulty seeds. You'd probably have some type of soil analysis done to see if something in your soil was killing the the seeds before they could germinate. You would do all kinds of things if what you planted did not grow as expected. Now, think about this in the context of your spiritual life. God has planted you, if you are a believer, God has planted you and God expects growth. And for you not to grow shows or reveals, rather, one of two things. Either A, you are not truly a Christian, or B, you are a Christian who is failing miserab- miserably at sanctification. Now, let's be very fair, okay? Okay. There are legitimate periods of time where, as Christians, we don't grow; we get into a temporary spiritual plateau or a rut. Um, sometimes this is normal, and, and when, as we understand the doctrine of progressive sanctification, which is kind of like a stair-step growth, like a you know a t- three steps forward, two steps back type of a growth, we understand that there are periods of of our lives where maybe that doesn't look like there's a lot of growth going on. But we break out of those periods, I would say, rather quickly. So these periods may last you know, two weeks to two months, maybe even up to six months, but you break out of those periods. But if you look at your life as a Christian and you say, man, it seems to me that there is chronic, long-term lack of growth that I haven't grown hardly at all since I've been saved. There's a real problem. And the first thing that you ought to do is actually examine the legitimacy of your salvation. Are you a genuine believer? Now, if you examine that question and you answer, yes, I am a genuine believer, you have to say, well, how come I'm not bearing fruit? How come I'm just going through the motions? All right, the goal of every Christian is stated very clearly by Paul, and it should be the same as the Apostle Paul, When he writes in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, he says this, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, you could also translate that mature, as many as are mature have this attitude, and if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have obtained. So Paul, in essence, is saying this we have to continue pressing upward toward Christ likeness because that is the call of God upon our lives at the same time at the same time we cannot go beyond or go below the standard which we have already obtained so we have a ceiling that cannot be reached because we'll never achieve total Christ likeness in this life but we can get closer and closer at the same time we should have a floor that steadily increases our floor increases as we mature in Christ so that the old man and the ways of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, become further and further distant behind us. And the new godly habits that we instill through studying the word, through gathering with the saints, through prayer, through other spiritual disciplines, those become more and more characteristic of our lives. So we have a a very high ceiling one that continues to expand and we will never achieve in this life and we also have a floor that creeps upward a healthy church member is growing the floor is increasing as the ceiling increases that doesn't mean there won't be small periods where there's a rut small periods of maybe even backwards growth you know you 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 fall into a sinful habit that you then have to repent of and overcome But overall, the goal of the Christian is upward growth. And I think one of the real challenges that we face as Christians who live in a Western culture, a Western culture that is basically enamored with external measures of success. We are enamored with external measures of success. Like it doesn't matter how good of a family man you are. If you're not driving like a BMW, or you're not rocking the season's latest fashions, or maybe you're not upgrading to the latest Apple device, you know, maybe you're not successful according to the eyes of the culture because we value external appearances, we value external status status symbols so greatly. So let's think about what this does to us as Christians. If our culture And everything that we are trained to examine in our culture values some type of like superficial, external status symbol. How does that affect our Christian life? One of the ways that affects our Christian life is that we adopt the standards of measure of the unbelieving world. And we begin to look at superficial factors rather than spiritual factors. Superficial factors versus spiritual factors. Superficial growth in your Christian life is basically examining all the tangible results that show you're a Christian. You know, here's some cheesy cliché ones. Do you have the Jesus fish bumper sticker? Okay, are do you have some type of like cross that you wear around your neck or maybe you've got a cross ring that you wear or you know Do you make sure that people know on your social media handles that you're like child of God, follower of Christ, something like that? I mean, those things aren't bad. Those things aren't bad, but they are designed to let everybody know what you are. You are a Christian. And we try to impress unbelievers, and we also try to impress other Christians. And Thabiti points out three wrong attitudes about growth that reveal whether we our growth is superficial or whether it is real and genuine. So we're gonna take a look now at these three wrong attitudes. These attitudes were evidenced by the Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray in Luke chapter 18, verses nine through 14. So let me actually read this parable to you. When you read parables, okay, when you read parables, You have to understand that Jesus is communicating an overall truth. There's one main truth that is being communicated. However, within a parable, there are also principles that can be drawn out that can then be applied to other aspects of life. And I believe Thabiti does an excellent job of drawing out three wrong attitudes of the Pharisee that he was using to measure himself against other people in his culture, other people in his society, and they were evidence that he was counting on his superficial growth rather than real, genuine growth. Here's the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes of all that I get. There's the description of the Pharisee. Well, what are the superficial measures that the Pharisee was using? What are the attitudes that he evidenced that we should try to avoid? Well, the first attitude is this. He was suffering from what is known as the performance trap. The performance trap. This would be like stuffing your stat sheet. I don't know how many of you are into sports. Um, I used to be very into sports and I'm, I'm so much less into sports today, but I think we all understand to some degree that sports are measured by statistics. Like what's your field goal percentage? Um, if you're a quarterback, what's your completion percentage in baseball? How many home runs did you hit? How many runs batted in did you have? Um, if you're a pitcher in baseball, like what was your ERA, your earned run average? And, you know, we used to have baseball cards and football cards and basketball cards. And on the back of those cards, it would have like a listing of that player's statistics. There are some ways that players can stuff the stat sheet to make themselves look good, especially in a contract year. And that can sometimes hide the true value or the true worth of that particular player. So, if you only look at stats, if you only look at stats, some people seem like they are just really, really good. But there are other things, we call them in sports intangibles, that maybe don't show up on a stat sheet, but can often determine whether a player is going to be a very excellent player or maybe just a mediocre player. Some of the intangibles would include things like work ethic, being a good teammate following the court, coach's orders, following the coach's instructions, those types of things. So you get the idea, okay? Well, as Christians, we can struggle from a performance trap. We can stuff the stat sheet by doing all kinds of things for God. I'm, I'm going to do all these things for God. And the Pharisee here did that. He, he He listed before God all the things that he did for God. He was like, let me tell you all the things that I do, God— And then, and then you're going to be really happy with me. So what does he say? I thank you that I'm not like other people. I, notice, notice he is speaking in the first person. I thank you that I am not like other people. So he's already like, he's gone over the stats in his brain. And he's like, I'm a more valuable player than this other guy over here. Okay. What does he do? I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes of all that I get. Now, there are probably more things that the Pharisee did. We know that there were from our other readings in the New Testament. But these are the two things that he brings up. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes of all that I get. And so the Pharisee is like, man, I'm, I'm so good compared to this tax collector. Do we do that as Christians? Do we kind of like in our own minds make a list of the things that we do for God? And we and we kind of like list them all out and we're like, man, look, look how good of a job that I do. God should be really happy that I'm here serving him. You know what else this Pharisee did was not only did he make the statue, but he publicized it. do you find yourself like kind of bragging on all the things that you do for God? Sharing, hey, you know, this this has been a busy week for me, but you know, I managed to, you know, clean up the Clean up the church bathroom after service on Sunday. And I also was able to mow the lawn on Thursday night. And, you know, I, I helped with that, um, that banquet that they had going on on Friday. And, you know, okay, maybe you did all those things, but h- why are you letting everybody know that that's what you did? You have a stat sheet that you're keeping track of, and you want other people to see that, hey, your stats look good. So this is a wrong attitude that will demonstrate a superficial growth if you're only concerned about what other people think about your stat sheet. In addition to thinking about the stat sheet and thinking about your performance and how good your performance is, we typically compare our performance to the wrong people. And this leads to the second wrong attitude. Notice the Pharisee did not compare himself to other Pharisees. I I don't know why. Maybe it was because the tax collector happened to be there. Or maybe he wasn't the most performance-centered Pharisee. Maybe there were other Pharisees who were much better in ritual performances than he was. I don't know. And this leads to the second wrong attitude, or this, I should say, reveals the second wrong attitude, which is a faulty comparison to others, not to Christ. When we compare ourselves to other people and not to Christ, that is a faulty comparison the Pharisee in this situation. Thank you, Lord, that I am not like a swindler, that I'm not like the unjust. I'm not like the adulterer or even this tax collector. What does he do? He picks all these people to compare himself to who are basically obvious sinners. We would consider them sinners in our culture today, you know, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, Tax collectors, nobody nobody likes tax collectors, not even today. He doesn't pick the cream of the crop, the best of the bunch, to compare himself to. He picks somebody that he knows he's better than from a human perspective. And this leads to a faulty comparison. He therefore overvalues or overestimates his spiritual growth and his godliness because he's chosen to compare himself against people who, you know, really aren't that good. Of course we look good when we compare ourselves to people who aren't good. Of course we all look better than Hitler, or Joseph Stalin, or Pol Pot, or Mao Zedong, or some other evil dictator from the 20th century. Of course we all look good, but that's not the right comparison. God doesn't care whether I'm better than Hitler or not, or Stalin or not, no, The comparison is Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, you should be comparing yourself to Christ and Christ alone. Only you know the depths of sin that God has rescued you from. Only you know the depths of sin that still remain in your heart. Maybe some are hidden that need to be overcome. Only you know where you're at in your walk, and you need to look to Christ and say, Jesus, you have blazed a trail of faith for me. You have lived a life that was exemplary that I must imitate. How can I do a better job of imitating that? How can I do it? How can I improve? And when we compare ourselves to others, we typically pick people that we know we're better than, and that gives us a false sense of growth. We don't, we're not really as good as we think we are, but compared to that person over there, we're great. We're great. And so if you have this particular wrong attitude, attitude of making a faulty comparison, that is going to really hinder your spiritual growth. Anya Bile points this out, that many Christians are absolutists when it comes to the Word of God and what the standard is, but they are relativists when it comes to comparing themselves to others. I am so much better than so-and-so. That's a relative comparison. The only absolute comparison that you should make is to Christ and of course you should be coming more like Christ. You should be getting better and growing more Christ-like. but we don't we don't always do that. It doesn't work out the way that we want to. We sometimes have you know spiritual ruts. we get into spiritual funks where we're not growing. But if the long-term pattern of your life has been that you just compare yourself to others, and you don't compare yourself to Christ, you must really consider, you need to really consider that your spiritual growth is superficial, not genuine, because you don't have the right perspective on what the comparison should be. Finally, the third wrong attitude in understanding and evaluating our spiritual growth is this, depending upon ourselves for growth. So we're looking to the wrong origin for growth. We are depending upon ourselves and our own strength and our own effort rather than depending upon the work of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. This is a common one for Christians, especially in America and maybe some other Western countries, because we have a mindset of we're going to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap. We are just going to um, work harder, do better. We're going to grit it out. We can do it. And, and to be honest, that's the attitude that our culture teaches that is a winning attitude. Right? That attitude will win a lot of things in our culture. It will take you far. And if you're a businessman, you should apply that attitude to work. If you're an employee, you should apply that attitude to your, to your job. I'm going to work as hard as I can because that will take me far. But when it comes to your spiritual life, to try to do everything on your own effort— To have this mentality of, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and just do this, that does not give any place for the Holy Spirit's role in sanctification and shaping of your life. Ephesians 5.18 commands that believers not be filled with wine, for that is dissipation. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we have a command as believers to... Basically, fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. Now You say, well, I thought the Holy Spirit dwelled inside of us. He does dwell inside you. But you can, in some way that is somewhat mysterious, activate the Holy Spirit to help you and enable you to grow. I don't have time to explain all the intricacies of that, but the New Testament makes it very clear that you, through your effort, work together with the Spirit to grow in sanctification. So if you think that you are going to do it all by yourself, you are sorely mistaken. That is a an attitude that will lead to a superficial growth. Now, in contrast to this superficial growth and these three wrong attitudes, what are some things that you could do that would demonstrate real growth and would produce real transformation. Well, let's define what real growth is. First of all, superficial growth is placing emphasis on the external factors. Real growth is an internal transformation. So it begins in the heart and it results with our thinking and our behavior being transformed so that we imitate and act like our lord jesus christ it's very simple really it's the transformation of our thoughts and our behaviors so that we imitate christ in all we do how we what we speak how we think how we act we imitate christ and you know what this has been god's plan with his people for all time so In the book of Exodus and Leviticus, when God is talking to the Israelites after they have come out of Egypt, he he says to them, you need to be holy because I am holy. And then he explained the law to them so they could understand what it looked like to actually be holy. They had to understand what God's standard of holiness was. And you know what? That same expectation is upon you as a believer in the church age. Peter quotes from Leviticus 19.2. He says, you must be holy as I am holy. He quotes that, writing to the church. That is the church's obligation, the church's responsibility to be holy like Jesus, like God the Father is holy. And so that is an internal transformation that occurs in the life of the believer. Now, how are we going to achieve real growth? How are we going to achieve real growth as opposed to superficial growth? Well, the first thing that we are going to do is we are going to rely upon the ordinary means of grace. Okay, Ordinary means of grace. What is the ordinary means of grace? We hear this talked about occasionally. Um, Let's define it. The ordinary means of grace are those simple, straightforward, easy-to-accomplish disciplines of the Christian life. Simple, straightforward, easy-to-accomplish disciplines of the Christian life. Here's what they are. Studying the Word or reading the Word. Prayer. Um, Attending communion. Singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Fasting. Gathering with the saints. Those are the ordinary means of grace. And I'll tell you. You know, Some days you don't feel like reading your Bible. Some days you don't feel like praying. Some days you don't feel like singing or even attending uh, the local church service with the saints. But if you, day in and day out, commit to doing these ordinary means of grace, you will see growth in your life over time. That's the goal. It's growth over time, slow growth over time. There is not some aha moment, some light switch moment, Whereby you receive some special anointing or mysterious power where the Holy Spirit somehow comes upon you and translates you to this higher level of godliness. That's not a biblical concept. It's taught in a lot of churches, and unfortunately, some evangelicals have bought into this higher life attitude or this higher life possibility. No, no, that's not what God prescribed in the New Testament. It is the ordinary means of grace. I try to read my Bible as often as I can, every day if I can. And some days I read my Bible and I concentrate. I mean, I learn a lot. And other days it's like a slog. I'm just slogging through the text. I'm like, man, I just gotta get through this. This is hard today. And I'm a pastor and I love the word of God and I love studying the word of God. But even in your personal life, as a pastor, as a mom, Maybe you're a business owner, uh, an employee, you work for somebody else. Some days it's just hard, but that's why it's the ordinary means of grace. It's easy. Everybody can do it. You just need to be disciplined and have self-controlled and do it. The ordinary grace produces growth that is slow, but steady and consistent. A second step that you can take to produce real spiritual growth in your life is to be a committed attendee in your local church. And you must not just be a committed attendee, you must be a committed participant in the local church. Jesus designed the church for the building up of one another. It is the place where Christians go to hear the word taught, to sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to encourage one another— to care for the needs of the body, and to be refreshed through the power of the Holy Spirit working in the assembly. The public gathering of the saints is essential, and so if you want real growth, you need to go to the public gathering of the saints. When you go to the public gathering, it enables you to practice your spiritual gift, to be a blessing to others, and to glorify God with your spiritual service of worship. Going to church is essential. And if you want to really grow as a Christian, if you don't want to wander in your Christian life, find and attend a godly, God-honoring, Bible-centered, Bible-teaching local church. Finally, a third step to real growth and this is, a, this is one that I, I have to be honest, I really don't think about this as often as I should, and I really appreciated it being brought up in this chapter, it is to be focused on Christ's return. So to have a mindset that Christ could come back at any moment. Christ could come back like in five minutes, in three minutes, in two minutes. And when we focus on the imminent return of Christ, it motivates us, to do faithful, committed service on Christ's behalf for Christ's glory. Did you ever think about the fact that once you die, or once Christ raptures the church, there are some things that you will not be able to do in heaven? You won't be able to evangelize in heaven. You're not going to be sharing the gospel with anybody. Why not? Be- because there's everybody in heaven's already saved. You know, when you get to heaven, there's not going to be any any more opportunity to gain or acquire spiritual rewards, as Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6. You know, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth. So because where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. Once you die or you're raptured, there's no more opportunity to store up those treasures. Whatever you've stored up is what you stored up we don't have the opportunity to win souls for Christ or to earn faithful rewards and that's that's why paul was conflicted you know at the beginning of the letter to the philippians he says you know it's be- i would love to die and be with christ i'm paraphrasing i would love to die and be with christ that would be great but to stay here would mean fruitful labor labor for me it would be a benefit to you and so there's that that confliction i want to go home and be with jesus but I also want to do fruitful labor. Yeah, that that's a real, a real challenge, a real conflict that believers ought to have. And the reason that Paul had it, the reason that was a difficulty for him is that he was focused on the return of Christ. He knew what could happen. And he longed to be with Christ, but he also longed for the labors that he could do for the glory of Christ. So my friends, as you consider this teaching from the Word of God. I would ask you to consider this question. Is the growth that I have experienced over the last six months, is it a superficial growth? Am I worried about padding my stat sheet? Am I comparing myself to others? Or am I depending upon myself to grow like Christ? Or, or, is my growth real and genuine Does it come from the ordinary means of grace? Is my growth being evidenced in the local church as I participate in the local gathering? And am I motivated by Christ's return and the work that I can do for him prior to his return? My friends, we, if we are going to be healthy church members, must be growing disciples. Let it be the right kind of growth. I hope that you are blessed and challenged by these words as I was. God bless you.